Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use 1 Kings chapter 21 for our text. And I'm going to change it up just a little bit tonight. I want to tell you a little, just a little story to start with, kind of set the tone. Uh, some of you might remember somebody by the name of Robert uh, Mugab. Mugabe. Mugabe, I think is the way you pronounce it. He was, he was president of Zimbabwe. Anybody remember that name? Robert Mugabe. And he became infamous because Zimbabwe in the past had been a colonialized country. It had been colonialized by Great Britain. And there were several, uh, several great big farms, and most of them were owned by white people. And so when there was a movement to try to, uh, their purpose was to balance things out where uh, the, the minorities, well, I guess whites were actually minorities there, but they're trying to balance it out where, where poor black people could have farms and, and make a good living too. And so uh, Mugabe, that was his uh, stated intention. But what happened was very unsavory. Instead of purchasing those farms, those large farms from the white landowners, they confiscated their farms and without adequate compensation, they just took them and they were supposed to break them up and give them to poor black peasants to farm. But that didn't happen. Guess what happened? They took the large farms away from the... And, and those white farmers were producing... They, they were producing the most of the, of the GDP for that country. But when they took their farms away from them, it didn't end up in the hands of the poor black people. And, and the president was a black man. But what he did, he made it available where his wife and their political friends ended up with those big farms. So instead of the rich white people on them, now the rich black people on them, and the poor black people still ain't got nothing. And so he became very infamous. And they went, This is in the early 2000s. And uh, so it was a big power struggle. And if they had negotiated some way to compensate the people they were taking the land from, where it was compensated fairly, it probably worked out a lot better. But by taking these farms and just giving them over to others that didn't know what they were doing, the economy crashed and they bankrupted the nation. We're going to talk about a land grab tonight in our study in 1 Kings chapter number 20. And we're going to take a, a squint right now at two maps on our screens and they'll reflect the times of King Ahab who is very instrumental. There's going to be three characters in this narrative tonight. There's going to be King Ahab, his sweetheart wife, Jezebel, and the third one is a man by the name of Naboth. And so on our first map, you'll see that our northern, the northern kingdom, you've got to keep in mind now, this, these maps change from when the land was settled, when Joshua brought the, the Jewish people out of out of the wanderings in the wilderness and put them in the, the promised land, the map looked different then, and then it looked different when King 
when King David was on the throne and when Solomon was on the throne, but now in this time of Ahab, it's a divided kingdom. So you have the blue kingdom in the north, it's called the kingdom of Israel, and the the other kingdom, the yellow-looking one in the south, is the kingdom of of, uh, Judah. And so it's... They're all Hebrews, they're all Jews, but they've had a civil war and they split up into two different kingdoms. And so now they're a divided nation and Jerusalem is the, the capital of the southern kingdom. We talked about them a little bit in the past. Uh, the blue kingdom of the north was very, very wicked. Every single ruler they had was as wicked as they come and they got progressively worse. Now, if you look up where it says the kingdom of Israel on the blue map in the north, you'll see the star that says Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. We're going to be centering on Samaria tonight in the northern kingdom, and then there's going to be another little place on our next map, if you'll switch over to it. Uh, We can't enlarge that for you, I don't think, but if if you'll look... Can you make out the little blue spot that's the Sea of Galilee? Can you see it at all? I know you're a long way from it, but it's, it's about two-thirds of the way up to the top of the map. And under that, there's, there's one square white balloon, discussion balloon there, and it's got a little pointer. It goes down to the little town of Jezreel. Now, that's where Naboth's vineyard was. And land grab takes place there. But we're calling it, uh, this lesson tonight is about Samaria, scheming in Samaria, because that's where the king and his wife, the queen Jezebel, lived in their palace. But at Jezreel, they have a summer palace. And so, kind of like Joe Biden and some of the other presidents, they don't stay, they don't stay in Washington, D.C. all the time. In fact, Joe's hardly ever there. He's usually on the beach somewhere. But the presidents oftentimes, they take breaks and go to Camp David or they go to Martha's Vineyard or they'll go to Florida or they'll go someplace and take vacations along the way. And that's what King Ahab did. He would go to his summer palace in Jezreel. That's going to be the target of our message tonight is the land grab that takes place. It's focused on Samaria because that's where the king rules from. That's the capital of the country. But the land actually exists in Jezreel. Now keep a snapshot, if you can, in your mind of the times that we're talking about, the times of King Ahab, because when we get to the times of Jesus, the maps are going to look altogether different. I mean, you're still looking at geographically the same place, but you're going to see different towns and different districts, and, and they, don't, they just don't look the same. But we're going to be looking tonight at especially that northern kingdom, the kingdom that was so wicked, and especially at Jezebel and Ahab and their greed-inspired murder of Naboth, an innocent citizen. This scheming that goes on between Jezebel and Ahab and some of their sycophants shows us how the scheme was developed and what happened because of it. And we're going to learn some things from it. I believe that will help you tonight. But that provides 
the backdrop. Our series, Where Saints Have Trod, kind of takes a geographical look at the Holy Land. I I think Christians really need to have a good uh, impression in their mind of what the Holy Land looks like. The Sea of Galilee up here and the Dead Sea down here and the Mediterranean over there and and the uh, nations which are now Iran and Syria and Iraq over to to the other side. And so if we keep that in mind, it'll help us tonight. And as we look into where the saints trod, we're not just looking at it geographically, but there's certain things that happened at those geographical places. And so because of what happened there, the circumstances, the situation that happened there, that's where you and I learn a lot from because of the circumstances surrounding the scheme, we'll learn some things from that. And so we'll try to have some class-wide participation tonight. But let's take a look at the theme of scheming out of Samaria tonight, and we'll see it taking place in this narrative. Now, what I'm going to do, instead of reading a a long passage of, of Scripture, I just want to read the Scriptures as we come to them point by point, because this is a long passage, and and if I read it all at once, then you think, man, that was long. And then we go through the lesson and we read those same verses again. You're like, man, that was really long. And so we're going to go through the whole passage point by point. Notice the first thing that happens. And we're talking about scheming. Our whole theme tonight is about the scheme of Jezebel and Ahab to grab Naboth's vineyard, his land. And so let's see the setting. The scheming is hatched. This is where, this is where it's going to help you and me. Get this, get this first point. The scheming is hatched by inordinate desire. An inordinate desire. You ever heard the saying, the love of money is the root of all evil? It comes from the Bible. Sometimes people say, money is the root of all evil. Well, we all got to have some money. You got to pay your light bill so the air conditioner will run, right? So money itself is not evil, but the love of money is evil. And scheming is hatched when we have a strong desire towards something we shouldn't have, an inordinate desire. Let's read the passage, just a few verses, beginning in verse number 1 of our text. 1 Kings 21, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things. Now, after what things? Let me just bring you up to date right here. Because in the previous chapter, chapter 20, is a man by the name of Ben-Hadad. He was over in Syria, the kingdom next door to Israel. Well, he comes over and attacks Israel and Israel's quaking in their boots, but God tries and tries and tries to show mercy and grace towards that northern kingdom, even though they were wicked as all get out. God was trying to show them mercy and grace and he said, here's what I'm going to do, Ahab. I'm going to give you victory over those invaders of Ben-Hadad. And God did that. And so they won. But he had been instructed... Ahab, the king of Israel, had been instructed to wipe out Ben-Hadad and his army. Well, when it comes down to it, he saves Ben-Hadad alive, makes a treaty with him, and sends him back home. And that made God mad. When we're not obedient, God gets mad about it. That'd be a good place to say amen, yeah. And so Ben-Hadad goes back home, goes his merry way after being such a brutal, bloodthirsty, murdering king. Ahab lets him go. But now he's going to, and that's why it says after these things. And now after he's let bloodthirsty Ben-Hadad go, he's going to turn around and have poor old Naboth, an innocent citizen, murdered. Go figure. Well, let's read. It says it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite, 
Now, Naboth's a good guy. The Jezreelite, he's a Jezreelite. Why? Because he lives in Jezreel. <laughs> uh, he had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the place, uh, by the palace of King, Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, when he says hard by the palace, that means hard by the palace means he's just right up there adjacent, means the next door neighbor, the summer palace. And so it says he's got a vineyard right next to King Ahab of Samaria. Verse 2, And Ahab spoke unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is nearer unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good unto thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Verse 3, And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house. Now stop right there just for a minute. Ahab is on the surface offering, saying, Naboth, I want your vineyard. It's right next door. And after all, I'm the king, and I'd like to have a garden there. I'd like to have a little flower garden. I know you make your living raising grapes out of the vineyard, but, you know, it'd be better if I had it for a little herb garden. (laughs) And so Ahab's thinking, you know, I don't have enough luxuries. I need that piece of property. You ever notice how greedy people never get enough? And so Ahab says, I, I want your piece of ground. And, and I'll, I'll find you another vineyard somewhere and trade you for it. And if I can't find you one like you want, I'll just give you money for it. On the surface, that sounds fair, but it's illegal because Naboth inherited it. And according to the law, he was not supposed to give it away. Well, Ahab could care less for the law of the Jews because he married a pagan woman by the name of Jezebel, and she hates, she hates the Jews. But Ahab doesn't care. He wants that piece of land. And so he says, I, I want it. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because the word which... Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken unto him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid, now watch this, and he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. (laughs) He's mad. He goes in the house. Naboth said, I'm not going to sell it to you. So, boy, Ahab, he's mad. He's just blown up like an old big toad frog. He's mad. He goes and throws himself on the bed and, Puts his face against the wall. You ever see little kids do something like that? <laughs> they need a good spanking when they do that. And Ahab needed a good spanking. He's pouting. He's mad. I mean, he, he should have had that. He knew he should have had that piece of property. And Naboth has denied him the luxury that he wanted. Well, he wanted the vineyard so he could be satisfied. And he didn't give a rip about Naboth and the fact that it had been inherited from his forefathers. I said this first point is scheming starts and this is something you and I got to watch out in our own lives that we don't scheme to get things. Ahab is beginning to scheme and we'll see it come on more fully in just a minute, big time. Scheming starts when we have an inordinate desire to have something that we don't have and something that we shouldn't have. Now, let's stop right there and think about how scheming begins because we want something we should not have. And let's think about it. 
This is a place where you can throw in your two cents worth. Can you think of any place, places in the Bible or in personal life without calling anybody's names? We don't, we don't call anybody's names, all right? Uh, we just remember, are, are, we, are we on video? We're on video? So if you've, had, if you've had it out with somebody and you're mad at somebody and you call their name in here, they're going to see it on video and then they're going to come after you. No, we don't, we don't want to embarrass anybody. But can you think of a, a place or places in Scripture where somebody wanted something so badly, they wanted it, but they weren't supposed to have it, and they started scheming to get it? Can you think of one? Let's, let, Elise. David wanted Bathsheba. She belonged to another man. He had a wife already. And her husband's down on the battlefield fighting and David's at home. That was as wicked as all get out. He was desiring somebody, something that he did not deserve and was very wicked what he did. So that's good. Uh, Joshua. Who? Jacob and his... Good good idea. Jacob, Jacob schemed. His mother schemed to get him the blessing. Remember that they put goat skins on his hands and he pretended to be his older brother and he stole the, the brother's blessing. And so Jacob, yeah, he's a schemer, a big time schemer. That's good. That's two good ones. Who else can think of a place? Rod? Who? Cain. He tried to take something that was not prescribed evidently to worship and use it to please God, and it didn't. Because the Bible says it wasn't mixed with faith, and that was his big downfall. What about in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> Anybody remember a woman in the Garden of Eden who had been told, was that what you were thinking of? A woman in the Garden of Eden was told, don't touch the fruit, don't eat the fruit, leave the fruit alone, stay away from that tree. And what did she do? She saw that it was good. Well, it wasn't good. The devil made her think it was good. In her own heart, she thought she needed that. And that was the one thing in the whole world, that was the one thing God said you can't have. And that's exactly what she wanted. So scheming starts with desiring something that we shouldn't have. What about Gehazi? Remember Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, uh, uh, when the prophet had healed Naaman of his leprosy and, and Elisha wouldn't receive uh, the reward from Naaman. And Gehazi got thinking about it. He said, I, I think I want that. I think I should have that reward. And so he scurries down there and catches up with Naaman and says, oh, my master decided that he'd take the reward after all. The garments and the silver and all this stuff, I'll take it back to him. Well, he's lying. He's scheming. His master did not want that reward. Gehazi wanted that for himself. And so the scheme got him in trouble. And what did he end up with? Leprosy. So this is how scheming. Do you know anybody? And I'm not asking you to answer this out loud, but just for food for thought. Can you think of anybody that ever schemed against you or you know they schemed against somebody to get something that they wanted that they really didn't need or wasn't supposed to have? 
If we thought hard, we could probably nearly all come up with something like that where somebody schemed in order to get what they wanted. An inordinate desire. So here's, here's the lesson we learn right there. When we start desiring something that we're not supposed to have, we've got to catch ourselves before we get to the shape of Ahab where he pouts, pooches his cheeks out, and runs and throws himself on the bed and turns his face to the wall and thinks, I've got to have it. We've got to stop ourselves before we get to that point. How many times has adultery and fornication and robberies and things like that, how many times have those happened because somebody didn't control what they were thinking? and what they were desiring. It's tough. It's temptation. But wouldn't it be good if we did like Barney Fife? Nip it in the bud? <laughs> yeah. How many of you don't have a clue who Barney Fife is? Somebody? Everybody knows Barney Fife? You know who Barney Fife is. Yeah. Uh, you're a well-educated audience. I can't imagine going through life without knowing Barney Fife and the Three Stooges. So let's talk about number two. Scheming starts with an inordinate affection, desire. Now number two. Scheming is furthered by impressive accomplices. Oh, if you can't get what you want, you enlist somebody else. You get them on your side. Scheming is furthered by impressive accomplices. Let's start reading now in verse 5. But Jezebel, all those first two words. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? She comes to him and says, Oh, what's wrong, big boy? Something spoils your day. Let me see if I can help you, sweetie. Oh, the temptress comes. And verse 6 says, And he said unto her, Now he's going to spill his guts right here. And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and he said unto him, and, I, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else I, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou, dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? You're the king, big boy. You're the king. You don't deserve to be treated this way. You should have anything you want, king. She says, Arise and eat bread. Let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now the scheming picks up speed and steam. Verse 8, So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And you see her usurping his authority? She's making decisions for him and even signing his name and using his kingly seal. And she sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city there in Jezreel dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. 
and the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and it was written in the le- as it was written in the letters that she had sent unto them. So Ahab was apparently a sort of a wimpy fellow. He was mad because he couldn't have what he wanted, and he could, he didn't. He wasn't going to be man enough to go out and punch Naboth in the nose or twist his arm and make him do what he wanted. So he sent his wife. (laughs) The wife said, I'll take care of it for you, big boy. You just go ahead and eat and have a good time. And you you go ahead and just live it up. I'll get that vineyard for you. And he, like Adam in the Garden of Eve, or Garden of Eden, (laughs) allowed Eve to take charge of his decisions and he suffered greatly for it now look women and men are equally valuable as to their worth in the sight of God but there is a chain of responsibility and God made the man to be the head of the home Ephesians chapter 5 in Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 or 2. And it's all through the Bible where it's supposed to be that chain of authority, that chain of command, that chain of responsibility. And I guess old uh, Ahab was a little bit henpecked. <laughs> when I, I ran a little Bible college in Denver one time and, and I had some, had some homiletic students and, and what I would do, Brother Connor, I'd have those students on a special night I would have the preacher, the pastor would let me bring them into the main service maybe on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and I'd have them to preach. And, uh, and so I'd, I'd have them get up. One at a time, we call it popcorn preaching. You probably heard of that. We call it popcorn preaching where uh, they wouldn't know what they were going to preach on. <laughs> and I would assign them a verse when they stepped in the pulpit. How would you like to do that, Connor? <laughs> uh, they would get to the pulpit with their Bible closed and I'd give them a verse to preach on. Now, it was not just to try to make light of the preaching of the Word of God. It was to help them to gain confidence that they can think on their feet and have enough knowledge, biblical knowledge and wherewithal that they could, and I always told them, if you can't think of anything else to say on the spur of the moment, do like I heard one preacher write uh, maybe a couple hundred years ago. He, he said, if you can't think of anything else to preach, head straight for the cross. <laughs> preach on the cross. You can always think of that. And so I'd been given two or three of them, let them get up there and give them a verse to preach on. And, and this one real tall boy, uh, he... Uh, he was henpecked and everybody knew it. <laughs> so this was cruel, I'll admit. Now, I wasn't very spiritual, I guess, but I gave him this verse when he stepped in the pulpit, knowing that he was henpecked. Proverbs 21, 9. I said, preach on this. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than, in a, than with a brawling woman in a wide house. <laughs> he, got a, he looked at his Bible and he read it and he stammered for a little while and he thought and he danced around a little bit and 
him hard, and finally he took off preaching on something that didn't have anything to do with that verse, man. He knew better than to get onto that verse, or he would have been in trouble when he got home. So, yeah, there was, hey, look, we've had the battle of the sexes going on for centuries, right? And we do it in fun. Most of us do it in fun. We just just do it to to be funny. But in World War II, uh, when Winston Churchill was Prime Minister of, of Great Britain, he had, I think it was their first lady uh, parliament, what do they call them, uh, in the parliament, she was a mem- parliament member, and they were going back and forth with each other all the time. He was Prime Minister, and she would give him a rough time, he'd give her a rough time, and she told him one day, she said, Mr. Churchill, If I was your wife, I'd put poison in your coffee. Without missing a beat, he looked at her and he said, Sweetie, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) So the battle of sex is going on. It just goes back and forth. But we fire a few funny torpedoes every once in a while. But the truth is, it is serious when it comes down to final decision making. Discuss things in your family. Husbands and wives discuss things together. A husband that doesn't listen to his wife's discussion, is uh, he's handicapped. She may be smarter than you, husband. <laughs> so listen to the wife's discussion. But when it comes right down to it and the chips are down, just like Adam and Eve, God gave the man the responsibility for either making that decision or putting a rubber stamp on the one his wife made. And if she gets the wrong decision as Eve did... Adam, you're the one that's the head of the human race and you get the blame for it. So Ahab was not that kind of husband. Influence. We're talking about how scheming goes on and on and gets worse when the schemer enlists accomplices to help them to do the dirty work. Influence is a power. You know that? Influence is powerful. And when we have influence, and all of us do, everybody influences somebody, we ought to handle that influence like a keg of dynamite because it's powerful. The poem says, My life shall touch a dozen lives before this day is done. Leave countless marks for good or ill, ere sets the evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help other lives it touches by the way. We have influence, but we better use it right. Jezebel, you had influence, but you used it wrong. Third thing happens about scheming. Scheming is damaging in its insensitive effects. Now to Ahab and Jezebel, this is just a this is just a little minor scheme to get that vineyard. But there's going to be people hurt because of it. Scheming, and that's something we need to remember. Scheming can be very damaging in its insensitive effects. Let's read verse number twelve. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came two men, children of Belial. This means they were liars. 
and sat before him, and the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel. Now, wait just a minute. He died. Poor old Naboth, never, he never did anything they accused him of. They had two liars to bring false accusations against him, and he's stoned to death. I wonder if he had a wife. I wonder if she cried. I wonder if she had to somehow come up with food to feed her family. I wonder if he had children. It's not just him that died. His whole family suffered. I wonder if they had brothers and sisters and relatives and friends that all were hurt by what happened. A whole lifetime changed by their decision. Our influence in scheming can have long-term effects. Now it says, they sent, verse 14, they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. How sad. That that man's life and, the, and his family and all that were connected to him meant nothing to, to Jezebel except she got that piece of ground that old Pout and Ahab wanted. How sad. Scheming can damage a lot of people. Can you think of anything that's happened in either in the news or maybe in history or maybe in the Bible, anything that scheming had long-term effects, long-term effects besides the Garden of Eden? <laughs> Planned Parenthood, oh my, has it ever. Under the guise, and, and, and this, com this comes, I believe, under the, the heading of scheming because there are people who want to have their fun and they don't want the responsibility and the consequences of it. And while they say, this is family planning, no, it's family murder. That's what it is. There's contraceptives, but they choose not to use it. They think birth control is a contraceptive. So if you, if you end up pregnant, just kill the baby. Cover your sin. Well, they don't, no shame over the sin anymore. But millions of poor little unborn babies have died because of the scheming of Planned Parenthood. Very good. I like that. What else? Long-term effects of scheming. It can go on and on and on. Yes. Black Lives Matter, black lives Matter purports to be helping poor black people, but the black, black Lives Matter organization didn't really care. They did not care about helping the poor black people. You know what they did? They stole so much of it, lined their own pockets, and went and bought million-dollar homes with it, and the poor people got nothing. If I was a black person, I'd go out and march against Black Lives Matter every chance I got because they don't care about black people. What they care about is money, and they schemed to get it. Good. Number four. I'm going to have to go faster now. <laughs> Number four. This is our last point. Scheming is settled by an infinite God. What happened because of Ahab's and Jezebel's scheming? 1 Kings 21, 16. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, 
Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Oh, isn't it strange? He didn't go to the graveyard and put any flowers on Naboth's grave. He went straight to that vineyard and took possession of it. Verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Uh oh. <laughs> Here's trouble. Ahab, you think you got away with it. Jezebel, you think you pulled off a good scheme. But the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou, and the Lord is speaking to Elijah here, and he says, verse 19, And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick, shall dogs lick thy blood, Ahab, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, I like this, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? <laughs> I can hear the sheepish voice, can't you? Ahab's there. He's in that vineyard. Man, he's standing there thinking, man, I got this thing. Old Jezebel helped me get this thing. Those guys lied for me. All those accomplices helped me. I've got it. It's mine now. And then a sound of rustling through the grapevines over beside of him. And it's that dumb Elijah, the man of God. What's he doing here? Elijah said, Ahab, the blood you shed of Naboth, the dogs are going to lick your blood in the same place. You ain't getting away with it, Ahab. And Ahab says, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? His heart must have been quivering right then. Oh, the Lord knows where we are. We do the scheming, he'll find us. And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the rest of that passage, he goes down and talks about how he's going to die. And Ahab does die. He gets shot in battle with an arrow. And the Bible says where he fell in the chariot, his blood began to run out the tailgate of the chariot and the dogs came up and licked his blood. Isn't it strange how God had it just perfectly prophesied, gave it to the man of God, and the man of God got it exactly right, just like God said? And he also said, And Jezebel... (laughs) She's going to get hers too. And she will be thrown down and demolished. Her body will be so destroyed that the dogs won't even want to eat her because of her. It says when she finally died, and we can't read it because of lack of time, but she's up in a room and, and some men come for her to let her know that the Lord's judgment is about to be passed. And a eunuch is up there with her. And the men on the ground says, throw her down. And so they grabbed her. She's fixed herself up. She's put her makeup and she's done her hair. She's looking so pretty at the window. And they grab her and throw her out the window. 
And when she hits the ground, she's splattered in a dozen pieces and they run the chariots back and forth over her till there's nothing left but the, the Bible says the palms of her hands and her skull. And the dogs wouldn't even eat her hands. They were so wicked. Jezebel got hers. Ahab got his. The rest of the prophecy was that the dynasty of Ahab would end right there with him. That didn't come to pass until Ahab was dead and then the rest of the prophecy was fulfilled, just like God said. Now, Ahab did show some fear and repentance. If we had time to read the rest of it, he's quivering in his boots. And when all of this judgment is pronounced upon him by the man of God, Ahab tears his garment and puts sackcloth and ashes and dust on him, on himself. And it appears to be a genuine repentance. And so God has a, a little bit of mercy on him. And so he lets him live a while longer, but he still gets the judgment and he still loses his whole family. The dynasty dies out, just as God said. Can anybody think of a verse of Scripture that might express that? The payment for sin for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. They sowed a horrible scheme to cause Naboth's death and they reaped the consequences of it. Where saints have trod takes us to geographical locations, but man, we find out what happened in those geographical locations and we see the circumstance and it speaks to our hearts and, and we suddenly have more of a distaste for innocent scheming. There was a church that I was a member of a long, long time ago. And they had already run off three or four preachers. And this one preacher, they... Loved him for a little while, and they got mad at him too. And they wanted to run him off. They tried to shout him down while he was preaching. He was in the pulpit preaching the Word of God, and they started standing up. They were, they'd got a taste of blood from the other preachers, and they wanted to run this one off too. They tried to shout him down, and he, he just kept on preaching. He, he didn't know what else to do. And one of them stood, and he was a deacon. He stood and said, Preacher, if you don't close your Bible and shut up, we can call an ambulance to have you removed from this place. Another preacher they got rid of, they said, we, We'll see to it that he leaves. And they all held their tithes back. They didn't give in the offerings. And they held their tithes and offerings and tried to starve the preacher out, scheming like that. And I'm sure they must have thought, somehow they must have thought they were doing right. How did people get to thinking that way? How did Ahab and Jezebel get to thinking this way? It happens. We know that. But the lesson you and I can learn is that scheming never pays off. What is the difference between scheming then and planning? I mean, we, we try to make plans, don't we? Is there a difference between planning and scheming? I think making good plans is, is the right thing to do. But good planning is not manipulation for self-interest, manipulating other people for self-interest. 
manipulation stinks. Would you agree with that? Good planning is not violating God's word. Would we agree on that one? Good planning is kind and generous and equitable. Not having somebody murdered because you want their property. Good planning is not unethical. You see, there's some things that is ethical and some things that are unethical and we, it may not even be something that's mentioned directly in the Bible, but we need to understand what's ethical and what's unethical. For instance, we've had people to try to steal church members in the past. I mean, talking about taking people out of our church to lead them over to another local church in the, in the community to try to get them to join their church. That is unethical as all get out. If somebody leaves this church, they get mad at me. I don't know why anybody ever get mad at me. I'm too sweet. But if, if somebody got mad at Connor and left this church, then, and they're gone. Man, they're gone three or four or five weeks. They just ain't coming back. They said, I'm done. I'm never going back. Then if they went, if somebody from another church said, well, if you're not going back to Liberty, come, come over to our church. I think that's fine. But to steal sheep from another flock is unethical to manipulate people. Even if it's not mentioned somewhere specifically in the Bible, it's unethical. And good planning is not shameful. I think you'd agree with me that anybody that would do what Ahab and Jezebel did, that's shameful. If, if we're trying to make scheming plans and we get a little bit of a hint of shame out of it, we probably better back off and say, I need to look at this again. I better not, I better not do that. Where there's doubt, don't. Good planning is not shameful. It's something you can do right out in front of everybody. It's something you're not ashamed of, something you're not afraid God's going to bring judgment on you for it. So while good planning is a good thing, manipulation... And scheming is a horrible thing. And we learned that lesson from these people tonight. What can strengthen us if we're in Naboth's situation? What if I'm the Naboth? What if you're the Naboth? Well, all we can do is seek God's plan for a good, solid life of faith. We don't know what's going to happen to us. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in America? Who knows what's going to happen in the world? Uh... I don't think Christians are going to go through the tribulation. We're going to be raptured out before that happens. But the times leading up to the tribulation are still going to be bad. And there will be temptation to compromise, to give in, to ignore the faith, to leave church, to throw away your Bible, to never witness again. There will always be temptations. And, and there may be threats. Sometimes there's threats that comes from your family or your friends they don't like you serving God and they'll try to lead you out of, out of service to God because they probably feel some guilt because they're not doing it. And they'll try to make you feel bad because you are doing it. Seek God's plan and if bad things happen, do like Naboth. Let the Lord be in control. <laughs> this is God's world. He didn't say all of us are going to be treated fair and justly, did he? 
there may be some bad things that will happen. We try to live above board the best we can, keep our faith in him, and then whatever happens, he's going to even the score. <laughs> With whoever did that to you, Naboth, he's going to even the score. So we'll find out when we get to heaven who the Naboths are. Naboth just lived life. Naboth did not live and quiver in fear. The Bible said God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And we can't live in continual suspicion. I know some people that can't enjoy life because they're, they're looking around and they see somebody behind every bush that's out to get them. Somebody that's going to harm them or their family. Well, I believe in being vigilant and trying to protect yourself and your family, try to protect your church. But we can't live in constant fear and suspicion of everybody around us. Live life, enjoy life, and just turn it over to God. And whatever He allows to happen, it's His show. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. Thank you for the folks who have come out tonight. Lord, we pray that the lessons we've seen in this passage of Scripture, Lord, that they would mean something in our heart, and that they would nail down some ethics and some biblical standards and some Scriptures that would be valuable to us in the days to come. Lord, bless our folks tonight. I pray that you just help us to see how important it is just to live for you and not give ourselves over to temptation, to scheme. Our heads are bowed and eyes.